Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I'm hopeful because I believe that God is going to pour out His Spirit. We've been praying for revival for so long. We've been longing for it. We've been believing it. And you know, I said this many times before, revival, outpouring of the Spirit, awakening from God, historically it always happens in times of disruption and upheaval. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 58 through 59. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And in the back of your mind, you know there's that thing that you did or said or something that you've hidden or whatever. You know, just confess that. And get that out of the way and let that relationship get restored so you can have that sense and that confidence that God is hearing your prayer. So he goes on, he tells them, he says, your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Wow. No one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. So again, just a society just given over to sin, given over to self-will and, and those kinds of things. No one's even concerned about justice. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil, bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. And so listen to verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their past, the way of peace they have not known. If that sounds familiar to you, it should, because Paul quotes it exactly in Romans chapter three. In Romans chapter three, when Paul is building his case that both Jews and Gentiles have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the case he's building there in chapter three. And he quotes directly from Isaiah here. Now, it's interesting because he's building his case against both the Gentiles and the Jews. Now, the Jews would agree 100% that the Gentiles were sinners and they were wicked and they, they should be judged by God. They would fully agree with that. And Paul, to prove the, the sinfulness of the Gentiles, he quotes from Psalm 15, which basically says that there's none that seeks after God, there's none that does what is right, and so forth. It's clearly a reference to the Gentiles. So the Jews would say, well, you know, we're okay. We're the people of God. But it was left up to Isaiah and the other prophets as well. But here to say, no, no, you yourselves are guilty as well. And so Paul pulls this passage out of Isaiah to show that it wasn't just the Gentiles who had sinned but it was the Jews that had sinned as well based upon the words of Isaiah here in these verses. So there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. 
And so therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. Salvation here, the word is also deliverance. And he's talking about deliverance here in this case. Because when we say salvation, we almost always think of it in terms of personal salvation, receiving God's forgiveness. But sometimes the context really is more deliverance. So we're talking about deliverance here. But we look for justice, there is none, and deliverance, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And then, and as for our iniquities, we know them, and transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, revolt, Uh, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back. So listen to this description of Judah at the time of their collapse and their, their destruction. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. The truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Wow. That is the world we live in. That is the nation that we live in. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. So so we are a nation who, we are a nation filled with injustice. And it's true in so many, many ways, so many levels. And the conversation we've been having Uh, Once again, the race issue has surfaced, but the race issue is an important one when you talk about justice, because if you follow the thread back to the beginning, you see that the nation, this is a hard thing for Americans to accept, but it's it's a truth. All you have to do is just read the historical records. The nation was built on a foundation of injustice. Now, we as Americans and as American Christians and as conservatives, we like to think about, you know, a righteous nation, a city set up on a hill, founded by godly men who wanted to have a place where people could worship freely. You know, that was a very small element of the people that were involved in the beginning. But then even those who did that, some of them were willing to compromise the gospel because they, they needed the slave labor. And so they were willing to uh, look past the clear statements of scripture and to justify slavery. Now, American slavery is, is unique in some ways. And oftentimes people try to say that, you know, the Bible supports slavery. Well, the Bible doesn't support slavery. The Bible just simply, slavery was a matter of fact in the ancient world and has been a part of the world for much of human history. Even today, there's slavery. But the American slavery was different. And the difference, there were two things that were different about it. One of them was that unlike indentured slavery in the past, uh, where a person became a slave because of debt, they basically sold themselves into slavery. They were indebted. 
And that was the means of, of paying their debts. Oftentimes as well, people were, uh, became slaves because they were conquered. So there was a war that took place and one side lost. And so they would enslave people. The unique thing about American slavery was it was based upon kidnapping. Uh, Africans were taken from their homeland against their will. They were kidnapped and they were sold. So that's number one. Secondly, slavery in the ancient world and the biblical references to it was never race-based. American slavery was race-based. It was based on the idea that Africans were subhuman, that they were not equal to whites as far as even their their very nature, that they were less than humans. And those two components were the extremely egregious aspects. And of course, you've got the other aspects as well, but the brutality and the violence and the disregard for life and all of those things, it's... um, Now, some people say, oh, you know, you're talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago. Well, look, the roots of that are in our soil and they still continue to to bring up fruit, bad fruit. Uh, My wife is doing a, um, whatever podcast, she's doing a podcast on a woman named Sojourner Truth. And Sojourner Truth was a slave. And uh, that was not her given name. She took that name to herself. Uh, But the story, as Cheryl was telling me the story, she always tells me the stories in advance. I'll tell you, I just, I can't wait for her to tell that story publicly on the air because it's just a, a grim reminder of what we're dealing with here. And so how did I get off on this? I got off on this because we're talking about the issue of justice. And so because we still have things that go back to this unjust beginning that we had. We still have things that are cropping up in our society because of those deep-seated roots. Justice means we have to deal with those things. Now, of course, when it comes to government, when it comes to secular people and so forth, we can never have any guarantee that that anybody's ever going to really deal with it because of the sinfulness of man. But it should not be an issue in, in regard to dealing with it for Christians. Christians should seek to deal with it. Christians should deal with it, first of all, in our own house. I said this on Sunday morning. Some of you never knew this or heard this. Some of you maybe knew this. But, you know, we have a black church in America. The black church in America is was the result of blacks not being welcome to worship among whites. That's why there's a black church in America that that had its own separate existence. Now, that is just about as unjust as anything you can imagine when it comes to relationships between Christians. How could that even be the case? How could you say, yes, Jesus loves you, you love Jesus, you're a Christian, you're a child of God, but you ha- you can't worship with us because it's just not right where you know i mean how do you even how do you even think that but that thought that thinking was prevalent it wasn't just a few people here and there it was the dominant view and that idea lasted i was talking to again to dr evans today and he grew up with segregation he he's 71 years old so he's not that much older than i am it's hard to believe that i can say that 
but he grew up in a time where he couldn't go to certain restaurants to eat. He couldn't attend certain churches and those kinds of things. So these are the injustices that are real. They're still with us. And we as the church, we can't do everything. We can't, you know, make the necessarily, we can't make the government do what we want them to do. But we can, as Christians, we can become part of the government. We can go get trained and we can make our way in to make a difference. We can do things like that. But again, to quote Dr. Tony Evans, before we can fix the White House or the House of the Senate or the or the Congress or whatever, we got to fix our own house. And so we, we can do that. And we won't do it, though, if we don't think we have anything to fix. So justice is a priority with the Lord over and over again in Scripture. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever with justice and righteousness. But we're the people of the Lord. You know, somebody asked me because I've, you know, spoken out on some of these things and somebody asked me if uh, I thought Jesus would speak out on this. And I said, Jesus is speaking out on it. We are his people. We are the body of Christ. So when we speak, we're, the Lord is speaking. And so, so that there was no justice, he saw, the Lord saw, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought him brought salvation for him, his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And so he, uh, the prophet here is looking, of course, to what the Lord is going to do when he comes to establish. He's going to come fully equipped and prepared to take vengeance and to establish righteousness and judgment. And so according to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the West and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so uh, it's interesting, this passage here, verse 19, I've done a lot of study on this verse 19 first, because if you have any Bible except a King James or a New King James, uh, you're going to find that it doesn't say this. It doesn't seem to say anything like this. The other translations uh, talk about they, they don't recognize an enemy. They just simply see the Lord is going to come like a rushing river and his glory and his light is going to come and so forth. And the reason why they do that is because in the Hebrew, it's a little bit difficult to discern who the he references are to. Is the reference to he the Lord? Is the reference to an enemy? Uh, also, um, the spirit of the Lord, the word for spirit is the same word for breath. 
or for wind. And so the translations talk about, you know, the Lord will come from the east and the west and like a mighty rushing stream, he will come and he will bring in his glory. That's the idea. And so virtually every other translation with the exception of the King James and the New King James, that is how it is worded. I'm paraphrasing it, but it's it's something much like that. If you're using any other Bible than the New King James, which I'm using tonight, it'll say something different. Uh, but, and scholars are divided as to, you know, what is the better way to translate. But of course, to translate this way is also perfectly legitimate. And I actually like this passage because I just love the picture of the enemy coming in like a flood. I don't like that picture. But what I do like is the Lord, um, the spirit of the Lord lifting up a standard against him. And I think that that's applicable in so many ways. I can think of so many times in my own life where I've thought of this verse and I've thought, well, you know, the enemy is coming in like a flood. Lord, raise up that that standard against the enemy. It's like the enemy is just flooding into our nation. I mean, we've seen him flood in through all of the immorality and perversion and, and all of those other things that we deal with all the time. And we're being reminded again of this reality that the enemy is coming in like a flood. What do we do? Well, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. And this is where we, my friends, we pray. We pray, we seek the Lord, we ask God to move and we repent and we ask God to get our hearts right and we get reconciled with our brothers and sisters if we're, if we're not reconciled and we start loving mercy and doing justly and walking humbly with our God and, and calling upon the Lord and asking him to work. And you know, I'll, I'll share this last thing. I'm, we're, we're done. We're never gonna get to... Uh, chapter 60. So I just have to face that fact that, let me, let me just read the rest of chapter 59. So the Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. So, of course, the context is ultimately in the end, all of those enemies, the Lord is going to come in and he's going to deal with them. The Redeemer will come to Zion. So this is talking about the return of Christ and, and then the blessing of the Spirit of God being upon them and their children and their grandchildren and on and on and on. And so, like we can do as we talked many times before, we can take these passages, we recognize that there's an ultimate fulfillment, but we can take them and God can speak to us and say, this is my word for you for now. And I think this is a good word from the Lord, that the spirit of the Lord would raise up a standard against the evil one. And so as, as we seek him, as we call upon him, as we prepare our own hearts and we ask him to do a work. Now, I, the last thing I wanna say is, I am strangely hopeful, and I don't know, I don't know why. I, I'm strangely hopeful in the midst of all of this that there could be 
good things come out of this. We know that um, just like in the life of Joseph, I taught this last night for the men, uh, in the life of Joseph, uh, there were certain things that were intended for evil. They were, they were very much meant to do harm, but God meant them for good. And Joseph reminded his brothers, he said, you intended evil against me, but God intended good. And you know, as we look at our current situation, I think we can safely say that yes, uh, the enemy has intended evil for this. I heard a, a pastor say this a couple of days ago. I actually tweeted it. He said, he asked the question, is this, the, is this moment about the sovereignty of God and God is allowing this so he can do something? Or is this about the devil trying to just ruin everything? I think it's both. I think the devil is trying to ruin everything but I think God is overruling. So I'm hopeful because I believe that God is going to pour out his spirit. We've been praying for revival for so long. We've been longing for it. We've been believing it. And you know, I said this many times before, and I think I've said it several times in the last week in different contexts, revival, outpouring of the spirit, awakening from God Historically, it always happens in times of disruption and upheaval. And like I've pointed out before, the the revival of the 60s and 70s, the context was very, very similar to where we are at this very moment. Remember, some of you who are my age, maybe a little bit younger, maybe older, you remember the riots that were going on. You remember the race issues that were taking place. You remember the space, you know, 1969, the Apollo you know, launch and, you know, all of those things were happening and all of the, you know, the craziness and the war that was going on at the time. And yet God stepped in and he did something powerful. He did something powerful. And I just, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe this is the time. One of our pastors was saying to me today, he was telling me how the Lord was speaking to him through Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, you know, there the Lord says, to Habakkuk, he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work in your day that you, you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And it, it would cause the ears of people to, to tingle if, if they knew. And the work he was going to do in, in their day was he was going to bring the Chaldeans against Judah. And that was not a good message. That was not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. But God said that through that, he would actually do a work. He would revive them and that he would, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Habakkuk cries out there in his prayer. He says, Lord, um, revive us in the midst of the years. And he says, in wrath, remember mercy. And, and it was there that God said, uh, he said, write the vision, make it plain. And then he said, and the just shall live by faith. And so here we are, we're in a time of upheaval. Is it going to get better? We don't know. Is it going to go back to normal? Maybe not. Maybe normal is, is a thing of the past. But whatever the case, as God's people, let's believe and continue to ask him and to continue to give ourselves over to him so that he can do a work in our day that will surprise all of us a good work, a wonderful work, and I believe that he will.
month of September. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. Have you ever been wronged or hurt to the point that it's difficult to forgive the person or people that hurt you? Why is it so difficult to forgive those who have hurt us? In his book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Timothy Keller explains why forgiveness is so important. He also explains what forgiveness is and the various ways it's been misunderstood culturally, both inside and outside the church. Timothy Keller will help you truly understand all the dimensions of forgiveness. You'll learn the principles of forgiveness and the practical ways to practice forgiveness in your own life as you move towards relational reconciliation with others. If you want to know why forgiveness is so important and how you can forgive others who have hurt you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? by Timothy Keller. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.